Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. building a strong Christian life like you would follow a recipe. Every recipe has certain ingredients. You can't skip any of them. You can't add extra stuff. You can't, you know, uh, mix them together when you're not supposed to and cook them at any temperature you want. And you have to follow a recipe. And if you follow a recipe, the results will be predictable and will be consistent. And you get to enjoy your favorite most thing and as much as you want. Well, the New Testament is a lot like that. Because there are disciplines, or we're using this term, ingredients through the New Testament, that when we incorporate them into our life, the Holy Spirit comes and uses them to shape us, and to strengthen us, and to sustain us, and to satisfy us, so we can literally experience the New Testament supernatural life in Christ that the Bible promises. It's not supposed to be a fairy tale how they did it, but we're different. We're supposed to be replicating that. And it happens as we learn to submit to the Holy Spirit and we put these ingredients in. There's more than 10 in the New Testament, but these are 10 primary ones that we're looking at. So for the first three, uh, three lessons, three ingredients, we looked at a passion for souls, why that's important. We looked at a passion for God's Word and a passion for the Holy Spirit, both the person and the power, what He brings to our life, why that's so critical for us. Then in weeks four through six, we looked at worship, we looked at prayer, and we looked at giving. And today we're going to look at three truths for a passion for holiness. And when you announce that you're going to, we're going to do a study on holiness, you know, most of the Christians either yawn or they're like, yeah, that's a great week for me to find, for me to get away and, you know, do something. Because holiness is not like a super rah-rah, let's celebrate, you know, um, subject. However, <clears throat> here's what you need to know about holiness. Holiness is a culmination of all of these ingredients together. <clears throat> And it's what God produces in our life that literally sets us apart from everyone else. Not in a prudish way, not in a, oh, you're a goody-two-shoes, you're boring way, you can't relate to anybody way. It's quite the contrary. It draws us into a place of distinction, a place of dignity, divine dignity, where people realize there's something about your life. Man, when you walk in the room, something happens in your life. It doesn't happen right away, automatically, but over a period of time, this is what God develops in our life, and we're going to learn what the Bible teaches about holiness today. Let me tell you why else it's relevant, because 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that as we get into the last days, one of the characteristics that happens in the church is people become unholy. What? In the church? And we're going to understand what does that mean? People are no longer set apart. Even though they say, I'm a Christian, and I believe in Jesus, and I'm going to heaven, they're not distinct. They're not dig- there's, there's no dignity of the kingdom there. There's nothing that, that brings honor to God. In fact, their life looks very much like everybody else in the world, with one exception. They say that, no, I believe in Jesus, and therefore I'm going to heaven. Other than that, they're just like everybody else, and that's not at all what God called us to and if, if you are living there, you're living so far below the kingdom standard that God wants, and you won't enjoy 
all of the things that that living a life of holiness will bring to you. And we're going to study that today. But let me first just open up with this scripture. I know I asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at a few introductions and get a, a, one foundational point un, under us before we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But let me just read you what 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 and 16 says. Can, can I remind you that Peter is that apostle that perhaps personified unholiness. Right? He was always the one getting angry, you know, drawing his sword and call fire down and arguing with Jesus in front of the group. Sometimes, you know, stepping in front of him. We're not going to do that, Jesus. And Jesus said, get to the back of the line, Peter. And there was always these contentious moments with Peter because he was very impetuous. He was very passion-driven. He was very like, whatever seems right in the moment, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to speak my mind. And so this is, this is not that Peter, by the way. This is old, seasoned Apostle Peter. This is a Peter who's been through this transformation, and something's changed in his life dramatically. And this is what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to the church. He says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you're taking notes, you might just want a little footnote when it says it is written, uh, that's referring to a passage in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Uh, some of you have never seen Leviticus because it's such a boring book that you just skip right past it. But in case you want to go there and find at least one really great thing in Leviticus, this is the great thing that's there. God says, I'm a holy God, and I want you to learn to be this way, and I want you to, to learn to reflect this. Well, so what is holiness? Well, first, let, let's kind of take away some of the things that we've imposed on it. And find out what holiness is not. Holiness is our working to conform our behavior on the outside especially. It's not conforming our behavior to some unattainable standard of perfection. Like you know, you can't have any flaws. You can't have anything going on in you. Ultimately when we say God's a holy God, that's what it represents. How many of you are glad that we don't have just a run of the mill God? We don't have, you know, a God that we can't talk to him today because he's kind of depressed. We can't talk to him today because he's a little bit frustrated because, you know, he's trying to get, do good for people and they're just kind of walking away from him all the time. We have a God who's in another category. He's completely set apart. He's completely distinct. He's got a dignity about him and an honor about him and a majesty about him that just de demands our praise. It demands our awe and our respect. And I, I don't know about you, but I want a God like that. But he wants his children to reflect those things. He wants his children to reflect that we don't walk and respond just like everybody else. And so one of the things we have to recognize is this is not first and foremost about outward behavior. Let me tell you what it is, and then we're going to see it in Scripture. Holiness is a spiritual birthright. This is something that you receive the moment you accept Jesus Christ, and once you receive that, that spiritual birthright that's now born in you enables you to begin to develop a life that reflects a holy God. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it just by your willpower and just, you know, I just like the way that that's represented. I'm going to do that. Even if you can pull it off a time or two, you can't be consistent. But when you've been you've been redeemed, reborn from the inside out. And now you have this divine spiritual birthright to draw from, then you can literally be transformed and you're not just trying to behave right, you are right. 
You're living a life from the inside out. You're doing things that are on the level and are reflective to one degree or another of a holy God, and you're doing them because that's just who you are. This is habitually who you are. You don't try to act right. You just do. In fact, I'll take it even further, and we're going to see it from scriptures. Not only does your behavior change, your appetites, your urgings, your, your, your passions are bridled, and they're focused, and, and they're directed towards the things of God. You're literally a different person from the inside out, and sometimes you're not quite sure how you got there other than just following the ingredients and letting the Holy Spirit does what he does. And this is what we're going to talk, talk about today. So I first want you to look at Philippians chapter 4. I haven't forgot. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 6. But we want to look at a couple of different parts of holiness to get an idea about what is this holiness and how does this holiness involve or evolve in our life so that we can know what does this feel like and what's it supposed to look like so that we can understand how, how it's working in us. Philippians chapter 4 verse 21 uh, the Apostle Paul, these are some of his closing comments. And here's what he says. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with, with me greet you. All, in fact, all the saints greet you. <clears throat> and the word saints is really important because it comes from this Greek word hagios. And it describes something that's set apart. Something that's been dedicated or consecrated, something that's distinguished, and something that's made holy. And it's actually where we get the word holy Bible. Uh, Hagios Biblios. That, that's where we get that word. It means the Bible's not like, like any other book, any other piece of literature ever written. By the way, that's just not our opinion. That's not even the, the Bible's own declaration. Now at this point, history declares and proves that out. There's been no other book that is as long-standing, no other book that is as, as, as popularly and well-read, and no other book whose truths are as timeless as the Word of God. I mean, not even close. No other categories even close. It is a set-apart book, and we know why, because it's God's words. <clears throat> so when you think about holy, stop thinking about behavior Stop thinking about some, some measure of perfection, although when we get to God's demonstration, that's exactly what it is. But stop thinking initially about that and think about something that's been set apart, something that's been separated. In fact, this is kind of a clumsy example, but it really helped and still helps me. Think about sorting laundry. Right, pretty basic, right? And you just got, you, you end up with two piles, and one pile is clothes that were clean, and another pile is clothes that are dirty. Now, when I say clean and dirty, I don't mean in fashion or out of fashion. I don't mean that, well, this is the pile that's flattering to me and the pile that's not flattering, comfortable and uncomfortable, worn and, you know, and, and tattered or, or brand spanking new. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about clean and dirty. And that's really how the Bible first takes us to understand this term holiness. But there's another part of it now that we have to add to it. So, Paul, Paul says, greet these people that are believers in Christ, and he calls them saints. It's the Greek word holy. And he says, I want them to know that they have been separated to God. But then the author of Hebrew gives us another part that, uh, of this that's very important. He uses the same word hagios to declare, for by one sacrifice Christ has made perfect forever. 
He completed something. The word perfect is teleos in the Greek, and it means he fulfilled or he did something that is complete in and of itself. Those who are being made holy. Those who are being made holy. So when we think about what Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and he said, hey, all the saints here greet you, and make sure to greet all the saints over there. As Christians, we're thinking, well, I'm no saint. And the reason we're saying that is because we think about all of these flaws and these imperfections, all, all of the things, you know, the thoughts and the, the, the desires, the appetites, the passions that don't reflect who we really want to be and who God wants us to be, even the behaviors that somehow leak out and we end up the thing we said, we'll never do that again. That's exactly what we do over and over again. We think about all that and we think, well, I'm no saint. But here's what the Bible says. The truth is, in spite of all of our obvious imperfections, in spite of all those areas that we still need to grow, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, God sees you as having been separated. You're no longer part of this group of people over here. You've been completely taken out, and you're part of this group of people over here. You're fully redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you've been placed in a totally different category. You're the washed. You're the clean, even though we've still got some imperfections. But then Hebrews chapter 14 tells us that just like every uh, child who's born into the world belongs to the parents to whom they were born, the Bible says that these blood-bought believers, you and I as Christians, that we legitimately now are children of a holy God. And as children of a holy God, that family identity alone makes us holy. We're different because we're not in this family over here of darkness. We've been translated, we've been brought over into the family of light just because we got saved. We're part of God's family now, and that makes us holy. However, in the same way, Hebrews 10, 14 tells us, just like natural children have to grow up and develop and mature into their family name, that you and I now are expected to grow and mature and to develop so that our lives reflect this holy God to whom we now belong. So there's two parts of holiness. One part happened the moment you were born again. You were legitimately became a child of a holy God. And just because of that alone, you're holy. This is what the Bible says. But now there's an expectation to keep growing. Here's truth number one that we have to get in our heart about holiness. Holiness is a spiritual birthright. But it's a spiritual birthright that must be grown into. A spiritual birthright that must be grown into. In fact... I know this might be a little playful to you, uh, but if you're born again this morning, just take a moment and reintroduce yourself to the person next to you. Say, hi, hi, I'm Saint, and put your name in there. Go ahead and do that. Go. <clears throat> yeah, I, I know it's kind of awkward, and it's kind of like, yeah, we're just being playful. Listen to me. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of playful, but let me, and some of you didn't even do it, and I get why, right? But, but let me just tell you this. It's so important that you hear yourself say that. If you don't say it to other people, I get that, because not very many people understand what we're studying. But if you don't at least say it to the Lord, Lord, I thank you that you've forgiven all of my sins, and you've made me to be holy before you. If you don't declare that and you don't begin to renew your mind to what really happened when you're born again, you will never be able to develop the faith to step in and to engage all of the other benefits God's given you. 
Because you'll talk yourself out of it. You'll discount yourself before you ever get to the table. God says he's forgiven all of your sins. He's healed all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction over and over and over and over and over again in any area. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that you continue to inflate with the dreams and the visions and the destinies God's called you to. And you soar above problems like wings will evil, but you'll never experience that. If you don't first understood, you're qualified because of your birth, not because of your behavior. This is so important that we understand we are saints before God. I don't care what our opinion of ourselves is. We are saints before God because of what Jesus Christ did. And we have to begin to understand that so that we can begin to take our first steps to grow up into that sainthood. Now we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I told you I'd get there. And this is important because... Paul's first going to talk to this church, and we're going to see a couple of things about this church. The church of Corinth, while uh, for those that you know, have been Christians and you study the Bible, they're usually known for the, for the church that was you know, uh, endowed with the gifts. And these guys, man, they were spiritual people. They're prophesying, and, and miracles are happening, and all those things are wonderful. But Paul's going to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that this was one of the most degenerate groups of people that he'd ever come across. I mean, these guys were sordid. They were deplorable. They were, I mean, they were in deep up to their eyeballs to some of the most debauched sin that you and I, like, we're, we're going to read a list here in a minute. It's like, you can't even hardly read that list. And this is a sanitized list, right? This is the Bible. So it's saying it in the most gracious terms possible. But if we were just to talk in our everyday street language about this, it's like, wow, that's horrible stuff. And Paul's literally going to say, by the way, some of you were involved in this. He's being really gracious. What he's saying is a lot of you. This is, this is who you were. And the implication in the language is, and by the way, you know who you are. And so do the people around you. This is who you used to be, but then he's going to say, but watch what God did for you. Now listen to this. We're just going to read. I'm reading from the expanded Bible, by the way. I don't do this often, but there's a lot of parenthetical definitions that we don't have to stop to make sure we're absorbing everything. Uh, it'll just do that as we read. So he says, surely, or it could be translated the word, don't, don't you know that people who do wrong. Now, let me just cl clarify. This is not people who are still struggling with addictions, are fighting their way out of some pattern of lifestyle. That's not these people because remember, we've been, we've been made holy completely by being born again, but now we're still in the process of being made holy. So we're not talking about those people. We're talking about people who habitually, who have given themselves over, who still come to church or still say, I'm a Christian, but they're still holding on to another part of their life and there's a conflict and they know it and they're not trying to win that. So that's the people he's talking about. He says, don't you know that the people who do wrong and that is unrighteous, wicked, unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? And then he's going to list. He says, don't be fooled or deceived. That's the same thing that he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he lists that in the last days, a lot of people that were Christians are going to drift. And they're going to start living like a lot of these people used to live, only it's going to come back and it's going to be a lot more accepted, a little more popular. And if you decide not to participate in this, you're going to be considered as narrow-minded, maybe even a hater in the, in the cancel culture, but they're not going to have a tolerance for the dignity and the honor of living a holy life. 
In fact, again, one of the descriptions is that Christians will become unholy, unseparated. Look, just like everything else that's going on in the world. But here's what Paul said they used to look like. He said, do not be fooled or deceived. Those who sin sexually, who worship idols, doesn't mean you're in some back room, you know, kneeling to a statue, putting food in front of it. It means that something else has captured your passion, your attention other than God. He says, who take part in adultery, those who are male prostitutes uh, for passive, these are passive homosexual partners, doesn't mean that you're receiving uh, financial remuneration. It means you're giving yourself away for some other remuneration, gratification, validation, promotion, whatever it is. You're just kind of, you know, floating around in this. He said, or men who have sexual relationship with other men, these are talking about active and committed homosexual partners. Those who steal, those who are greedy, those who get drunk, those who lie about others, and it qualifies that. We're talking about everything from slandering others to even using abusive language, sarcasm, name-calling, berating people, belittling them, uh, assassinating their cat character passively. All of those things are included here. He said, or rob. This includes swindle. This includes uh, anybody who's, who's uh, cheating somebody in a deal because they, they're just talking fast and they're somehow embezzling things from them. All of these things are included. And he says, these people will not inherit God's kingdom. Look at verse 11. In the past, some of you were like that. Again, the implication is not just a couple. And by the way, you know who you are, and so does everybody else. But listen, but he says, but you were washed clean. You were made holy. That, that word hagios, and it literally means to be sanctified or sanitized. He says, and you were made right with God um, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in or by or through the Spirit of God. Any of those connectors will work the Holy Spirit's the one shaping our lives and moving us out of this. So, so again, while Paul's list is describing this debased, sordid lifestyle that they used to live in, he's next saying, but here's three things that happened. The moment you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, three things happened that quite literally changed everything. The first thing that happened is you were washed clean. And this, these two words is one Greek word, and it actually points to a specific point in time when something or someone was washed thoroughly and completely and completely sanitized. Something radically happened. This was not just a rinse. This was not just kind of, you know, dusting things off and, and maybe fluffing it in the dryer so we could, we could wear it and look like we're good. This was a complete clean, a complete sanitization, and, and it put it in a whole different category. And again, Paul was saying the moment that people accept the Lord Jesus Christ, something supernatural happens from the inside to the outside, and they are spiritually washed and cleaned and, listen, released from sin's control. You're not stained with that anymore. You don't carry the shame of it anymore. You don't carry the guilt before the Lord. You are completely washed clean before him. And not only that, it goes on, it says, and you were made holy. Once again, that's this word hagios, and it means to set apart or to sanctify or to consecrate or to be made distinctly different. So in other words, the moment you got born again, five minutes ago, Nothing's changing your behavior. You haven't had a chance to make these big decisions about life patterns and thought patterns and, and internal, you know, emotions, and you haven't had the, any of those decisions yet. You made one decision 
to turn your life over to Jesus Christ and do, for, so that he could wash you clean. And that's exactly what happened. And in that moment, he set you apart in a whole different category. You became, you belonged to him. You became instantly di- and divinely distinguished from the rest of the world. He doesn't see you any different. In fact, that's why it goes on. The next thing it says is to be made right with God. And this whole phrase in the English is from one Greek word, and it's where we get the word justified. In fact, that's how it's translated in a lot of other passages of the New Testament. And one scholar <clears throat> Uh, or number one, one scholar said it, and a number of scholars you know, will repeat it and agree with it, that you can most easily translate this Greek word justified if you say it this way, that God does something in our life that makes it just as if I'd never sinned. God looks at me, and, and when he looks at me, he's so washed, and he's so sanitized, and he's so completely erased everything that, would, that had happened before that, that I stand before him just as if I'd never sinned. I'm that brand new little, new little newborn baby who even though I'm still, you know, costing money and I'm still soiling diapers and I'm still screaming all the time and I'm, you know, very naive to all the context and the things that are going around me, God looks at me like this innocent little child that he loves me, loves me, loves me, and he treats me completely different just as if I've never sinned. Now there's lots of other scriptures in your workbook. You can look those up and it kind of gives nuances and details about this new birth, the spiritual birth and development. But let me just read you one example that's pretty popular. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, anyone means like everyone, like any person doesn't matter how long you've been saved, doesn't matter what your background was, doesn't matter how deep in sin or whether you lived a pretty good life beforehand, but now you're just eternally born again. Any person who has stepped into a relationship with Christ, listen, is a new creation. And, and that's not just a refreshed person. That, that new creation term literally means you're not the same person you were before. In fact, other passages say you used to be in darkness now you've literally been picked up, pulled out, and translated into the kingdom of light. Used to, you were God's creation, but you were sons and daughters of disobedience because you were born into sin. But when you made the decision to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you were pulled out of that family, and you were adopted and put into a new family, and that new family is the family of God. You're literally a different person, and that's why it goes on and says, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't mean that old behaviors automatically change and that you automatically respond and react differently and that you, you think differently. It doesn't mean that that's automatic. What it means is you're in a whole different ballgame now. You're not this person trying to somehow keep their head above water with all this stuff that's swallowing you up. You've been pulled out of there and you've been put back on on a level playing field and given the divine resource and the help of the Lord that literally will change your appetites from the inside out. They'll change the way you think. They'll snap bondages and patterns and family histories and they'll snap all of that off your life so you can literally reflect this dignity this godly structure and this character so people look at you and say, wow, how, how are you even doing that? Well, you're in a whole different category, that's why. You, you're in a brand new creation. All, all the old rules and the old ways that you were doing it, yeah, that's all gone. You're in a whole different ballgame now. And as we begin to realize that, then it helps us to step up and become who God's called us to be. Now, once that happens, salvation 
and this divine thing, the spiritual birthrights given to us from the inside out, and God sees us in a totally different place, and we're in a totally different ballgame now, then here's truth number two. Saints are expected to develop holy lives. And this is what Paul's talking about in that second passage, as you'd open up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 4. It's going to sound like we're starting in the middle of a thought, but we're really just zeroing in uh, on this particular uh, idea so that we can stay focused. You're welcome to go back and read the context. We are right in the middle of what Paul's saying here. But here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. He said that each of you should listen, know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. Know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. We're not going to go deep into the Greek because we don't have time to, but that whole phrase, know how to possess his own vessel, let me just tell you that describes a process of learning that has a starting point. You make a decision that I'm going to begin to learn to live the way God wants me to, and that starting point steps you off and continues until you get to the point in each area of your life where you fully understand. I mean, not just with your head, not just you you know a few scriptures and concepts, but you fully understand by experience, by working it, and you've successfully arrived at a place where you're now able to manage your whole life. So the difference is something happens, you're like, I can't get mad, I can't get mad, I can't get mad, I can't get mad, but something happens and and you recognize, boy, there's an opportunity for me to let my anger get unbridled, but instead I pull that in and I say, no, the Bible says I'm supposed to walk by love. I'm supposed to put the law of kindness on my tongue, and at this point, I understand how to do that. I close my mouth, I count to three. Maybe take a step back somewhere and say, okay, Jesus, you, you heard that whole thing. But rather than me lashing out, I'm going to say vengeance belongs to you. You're the judge. And I'm going to understand you've forgiven me for so much that I'm going to take a minute here. And I'm going to begin to walk in a different character. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to bless those who are despitefully using me. See, all of those things have now been worked in your life and shaped. And that process takes you all the way to a place where you're not even tempted to burst out in anger anymore. Someone, someone you know, jumps at you like that and you're thinking a whole different way. You're like, wow, I wonder what's going on in their life that would make them react like that. I wonder how I can, can I, can I help with this? It's not about a power struggle. Can I help in some way? Can I, can I be used by the Lord here? And see, and you're not trying to, you just, you just do. But that's a process of growing into this different, this set-apart kind of life. And this is what he's saying here. We have to step into that. And we can't just be people that are coming and doing church. We have to be people that are determined to be changed and transformed by the Lord. And we're constantly saying, Holy Spirit, shape me. Holy Spirit, help, help me, teach me how to do this, and we're adding ingredients into our life and making sure we're following him. Well, he says that we have to learn how to, how to, how to walk through this process, but he highlights here's two aspects of it that we can, we can recognize as we're walking through and the fact that we're walking through. He says in sanctification, and once again, here's this Greek word hagios. It's where we get the word holy. And it says in sanctification, again, it's talking about a sanitizing, cleansing process whereby a lifestyle of holiness that represents this divine spiritual birthright can begin to be produced. 1 John 1.9 says it this way, that after we've been born again, 
And so we've been sanitized, we've been brought over, and now we are holy because we're in a different category simply because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of a holy God. But he says now we, we keep that process going, and when we know we've done something wrong, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess that sin, then he's faithful enough to uh, forgive us of that sin, listen, and to cleanse us from all, from all unrighteousness. Not a deep, sanitizing, clean, that's already happened. But he just rinses us clean. He just keeps washing us clean. And the more we live this submitted life, and the more we keep walking humbly before the Lord, and we'll quickly admit when we missed it, and we'll ask for the Lord to come and rinse me, rinse me off again and get me back on this thing, then that's the first part where we're living in an awareness that now that we've been washed, we have to be sanitized. We have to be sanctified. We have to let this work keep washing and keep us moving forward. But notice this. It says we're also supposed to do it in honor. And this is the Greek word dime. And it literally describes something that's of great value and of great worth or something, again, that's worthy of dignity and respect. And, and I love this word. I really do. One of the things that, I, that I've always been drawn to about God is his majesty. I don't, we, we don't, none of us really understand that, and we won't until we get to heaven, and we realize this is the God that in Revelations 20, 21, who the Bible says is on his throne, and the angels are, have been encircling him forever since eternity past, and they're just constantly crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And, and then since has been added, these 24 elders, that whenever they say that, they jump from where they're at, and they, they fall to their face, and they throw these crowns of recognition and of reward that they've been given. And they say, man, none of this compares to you. None of this would be possible without you. They throw this down in worship. But, but here's the thing. It's been going on for how many, we don't know how many millions and billions of years. And listen, this is not rehearsed. There's something so incredibly majestic about this God that every time that you're around him, it provokes a brand new response. You're not just repeating something, well, because we're supposed to be reverent, reverent before the Lord. Every time you get in the presence of God, something in your heart says, man, he's, he's more worthy than I thought. And you're willing to just empty some out. We know that. We can experience it in worship right now. Every time you get in a worship service, this is not rehearsed. Something brand new just, just wells up. And by the way, I'm 59 years old, and it hasn't stopped it just keeps being renewed. And the Bible says that's exactly where we're going to step into. We're going to see this for our own eyes one day in heaven. And I believe that's when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess voluntarily, wow, he really is the Lord. But there's something about that, that, that I want to be reflected in my life for, I think, all the righteous reasons. I want, I want, when I walk in, I want people to recognize there's something different about him. Not so that I can get attention, not so that I carry a little more influence and clout for my own personhood, but because that's how God's supposed to be. There's a dignity about the kingdom of God. There's something that commands respect, that commands people's attention. And this is the way that God wanted his children, wants his children to, to reflect. And so he says, we have to begin to move towards that and to allow that to unfold in our life. Again, lots of scriptures in your workbook. You can go look at a bunch of examples that will add nuance, but let me just read you one. Romans chapter 12, verse one says, I beseech or I'm begging you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, 
acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And I have to point out the word reasonable there is from the Greek word logikos, where we get logical. Because when you just stop and think about it, I mean, just use your brain for a minute, right? You don't even need your heart involved in this one. Just use your brain. Common sense, just logical rationale says that if we really understand what God has done for us at salvation, then the logical thing is for us to live in a way that reflects what he did. If we really believe we're God's children, and we're going to go live with him forever, then the logical thing to do is that we start submitting our life, we lay our life down before him, because we want to be just like dad. We want to be just like our heavenly father. That's just logical. And, and I haven't met anybody who wouldn't, who wouldn't agree with that, but the challenge is, if that's so logical, then why are we struggling so much? Why, do, why, why the drift? Why the disconnect? Why do we get all confused and fuzzed up? And this is what Paul's going to talk about in the very next verse, in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5. Because now that he's urged these believers to learn to possess their own vessel. Here's what he says. Here's what's challenging us and what throws us off. He said, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And the word passion here is the word pasco in the Greek, and it describes any pressure that causes you to strain or to suffer. Something's pushing you and you're like, no, 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 I can't do that. Or something's pressuring you, you know, to not do something. And you're like, yeah, but I really want to do that. And anything that's pushing, pressuring you, that's coming from this outside force or this circumstance that happened, something that happens out here or that's going on out here and it's creating this internal struggle, this internal pull or push on the inside. And he goes as far as to say it, it has to do with lust. It's the word epithumio and it means a desire that's become so intense. Maybe it didn't start that way, but something starts growing and swelling and it becomes so intense that it's tempting you to the point that many, most people, if they stay in that will be overcome and completely give themselves over to it. Now again, he's talking about people that are saints. People that have been taken out of the family of darkness, separated and put into this dignified kingdom of God, of God family and are children of a holy God. Yeah, even those people are still wrestling with some of this because they have been made holy, but they're still growing up and being made holy. There's a growing and developing process. And he said, this is one of the things that really throws us off. Can I just tell you that what he's really talking about, if we're going to focus the context, are fleshly passions that are unhealthy, that are unrighteous. But we can also draw from this text, and he talks about in other places, that that may be also true in places that are holy. Let me give you this narrow example. For example, there are some people that passionately want to be holy to God when they're passionate about it. So if you get to a really good service and the worship's there and I'll give you my whole life, Lord. And, and while that's true somewhere in their depths, what's really motivating them is not a committed decision to begin to learn to possess their vessels and live a holy life. It's a passion of the moment. And they'll lay all of that down in the moment, but by the time they get to lunch, well, you know, I got other things to do, and I got my life, and, and they just drift back to it because it was just in a passion of their lust. It was a desire, it was something that swelled up and almost just overtook all reason and rationale, and they just committed something to the Lord, but it wasn't a decision 
that was made in possessing themselves and saying, no, no, I'm, I, I am passionate right now, but this is not just a momentary flare. This is really what I'm actually going to do. In fact, we read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and, and let me just kind of pull you back there just for a moment. That's exactly what Paul meant when he said, we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices. You know, throughout the Bible, when they made a sacrifice, those sacrifices were laid on an altar and were set on fire, but those sacrifices were all dead. They'd kill the animal first and lay it there, and I'm going to tell you why, because there's a problem with a living sacrifice, when the flame starts licking them and it starts getting hot, living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. And by the way, we're called living sacrifices. We can make dedications. We can devote ourselves to the Lord. But I can promise you when things start heating up and when things start getting intense, your commitment's going to be tested and you're going to be tempted to crawl right off of that altar and right back to what's easy, convenient, and comfortable. But this is all that process of learning your, 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 learning your tolerances and learning your, your weak points and, and learning your tendencies and asking the Holy Spirit to come and show those so you can keep them cleansed and keep them washed and keep them submitted to him so that you as a saint, a holy person of God by birth can learn to be made into and become literally a reflection of who you already are. This is what the Bible is telling us and teaching us. Super, super important. A lot of other scriptures in your workbook. Let me give you one example. This is that old apostle Peter again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I'm begging you as sojourners and pilgrims. So as people, that are, whether you're just traveling through something or you're just kind of getting set up, he says, as sojourners and pilgrims, he said, abstain from fleshly lust. Why? Because they war against your soul. They're fighting you, fighting you, fighting you, fighting you all the time, fighting you. Well, that, that's a great thing to say. Again, it makes total logical sense. We're in. We want to do this. How in the world do you pull this off? Here's truth number three and where we land it for today. Walking in the Spirit produces holy living. Walking in the Spirit produces holy living. I told you the last passage we're going to get to is Galatians 5. We're only going to be here for just a little bit. Uh, we won't get to study the whole thing, although I would recommend, uh, and there's a lot more in the workbook, but after devoting a whole chapter, Paul's writing to the church at Galatia uh, on the importance of replacing passions of the flesh with a passion for holiness, listen, and doing it spiritually, supernaturally, not legalistically, not in your own, you know, my own willpower. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not going res- to yield to that anymore by learning to do it supernaturally, because you'll never do it. You'll never do it. Read Romans chapter 7 on into chapter 8. And Paul says, if you're trying to do this in your own strength, you can do it for a little bit, but eventually it'll wear you down. That pressure, that pull, that push, that tug, that stretch, wrestling on the inside will just wear you out, and eventually you'll be overcome. And he says, but in the book of Galatians, Paul's trying to say, listen, let's not take what started with a spiritual divine thing. We were born again. We were washed completely clean, sanitized. We were brought out of the, the kingdom of darkness and put in the kingdom of light. We're now children of the holy God. Let's not take what started spiritually and now stop doing it spiritually and try to do it in the natural. He said, don't do that. He said, keep this thing going and let God do and finish the work that he promised. And so we're in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He makes this amazing statement. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit... And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, there's a couple things we, we got to clarify. 
When he uses the term walk, it's the word peripateo, and it's, it's, it literally means to make your way on a journey. However, here it's really referring to a Bible metaphor, and the Bible metaphor means something that you every day, something that you habitually, something that characterizes the routines and the practicality of your life. In other words, he's saying walking in the Spirit is not just some mystical, out-of-this-world experience that you have once in a while in a worship service or in a conference. It's not the warm fuzzies or the chill that goes up and down your spine when you're in your devotion and God, you know, God points something out and you're like, man, that's just for me. And all those things are wonderful and I'm not discounting any of them. But when he's talking about walking in the Spirit, he's saying you're developing a lifestyle. You're learning to possess your vessel. And this only comes by people who every single day are saying, Holy Spirit, lead me today. I'm going to do the best I can to follow. Probably won't do it perfect. But in those moments, I'll say, ah, I think I missed that one. And I, I know I heard you say it, and, and I didn't do it right. I didn't hold my tongue. I didn't control my thoughts. I didn't monitor my behaviors. Wash me, clean me, forgive me for that. And, and, and here we go again. And if you have to do that all day long, every day, it says we're continually following the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're yielding to his control. Even if we're not doing it well, we're still coming back and we're putting ourselves on the altar and we're saying, I'm, I'm dying to you all over again. I'm just going to lay it down again. I'll do it over and over and over, but I'm going to keep yielding to you. And then you're receiving his, not only his correction, but his comfort. You're receiving his validation and you're tapping into his strength as you learn to do this every day, all day long, constant communication with him. Then the Bible says something happens and that becomes normative in your life. That becomes the normal routine. And as that becomes, not when, but as that becomes every step of the way, as that becomes something that you are habitually, you're learning to possess your vessel and keep bringing it to the Holy Spirit, bringing it back to the Word of God, as you're doing it over and over and over again, listen to what it says. It says something transformational, something divine happens from the inside out. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word fulfill here means that you won't, you won't, be brought into a point where, you, where you're hitting your goals, you're hitting your targets. It, it, here's what it's saying. When you're walking habitually in the Spirit, every single day, one step at a time, you're following the Holy Spirit. If you stumble, you fall, you get back up, Holy Spirit, d dust me off, clean me, wash me, and let's do it again. And you're doing it over and over in His strength, saying, I need you to help me. I can't do this in my own strength. I need you to help me. But as you're doing that day by day by day, this is going to become who you are. And as, you, as it becomes who you are, you're going to be walking to the point that something begins to happen from the inside out. And all of those passions that were pulling at you before and pushing at you before and, and dragging you into this pattern and into this addiction, it says, listen, all of a sudden, those are going to begin to dissipate from the inside out. You're not even going to feel the pull anymore. Something's going to change. Where at one point, man, whenever that thing hit you, you could not say no. All of a sudden, you get to the next point and it's like, well, no, I, I have a choice. And maybe you don't make the right choice and you ask for cleansing, but then you keep doing it and you get to the next point and you say, you know what, I, I know it's there, but I'm not really into it. I'm telling you, it just changes you from the inside out. When he says you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, it is so emphatic there that he literally says it will not be possible for you to walk in the passion of your flesh if you're walking in the spirit. You'll just have no taste for it at all. 
You'll literally, something will change and you'll be like, that's just not me anymore. Uh Uh-uh, never, ever, ever again because God's doing something in you. You have been made holy by birth. Now you're being made holy. And it draws you into a whole nother level of God's blessing, of God's honor to you begin to walk with your head held high. You don't walk in defeat. You're not in fear anymore. You're not in insecurity. You walk with your head held high knowing that the kingdom of God is backing you. And you begin to reflect what it's like to be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of scriptures in your workbook, you can delve deeper into that. Let me read you one final passage uh, as an example. This is in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, and I'm closing here. He said, for those who live according to the flesh, listen to this, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, I want you to notice again, set your mind. We're not talking about, well, I just feel something in my heart and I'm just feeling. That's wonderful when we feel the Lord. I love when God shows up and I feel him. But I'm not basing this on a feeling. I'm basing this on me making a decision with the help of the Holy Spirit to submit to the Lord, to submit to the word of God, and to let my mind be renewed and let that filter all the way down into my life. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, that's walking in the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, set their mind on the things of the Spirit. You make decisions. I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm not going to do it perfect, but I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And if I have to get up and try it 14 times today, then I'm going to try it 14 times and go to sleep on the 15th time and say, thank you, Lord, that tomorrow's another day. And he says, listen, he goes on and he says, for to be carnally minded, that means minding the things of the flesh, that's only going to lead to death. It'll destroy everything that you want to see happen in your life, but to be spiritual minded will lead you to life and peace. It'll walk you right into the holiness, to the total set apart, the distinguished life of what it means to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important that we recognize we're studying ingredients here. None of these things are going to be perfect. We're only catching one thing and we got a week before we move to the next thing. They're just bringing them to our attention so the Holy Spirit can say, hey, remember we talked about giving? Let me talk to you about that. Remember we talked about prayer and worship? Yeah, let me talk to you about those two things. And he's working this to bring us into this different lifestyle so we're transformed from the inside out. This is what it means to be living a holy life, not a perfect life. Not a life of flawlessness, but a life that day by day by day by day is more in the image of Jesus, is more and more reflecting this wonderful, holy God that we serve. Hope you've been blessed by God's word today. Stand to your feet and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can hear these kinds of messages with no condemnation, without any heavy handedness from you. But instead, Lord, we can hear these with the Holy Spirit wooing and calling us and baiting us into a deeper connection, to a deeper commitment to follow him. And as we follow you, you promised us that day by day, step by step, that you would help us to be renewed so that we think like Christ. We have the mind of Christ, that we walk in the steps that Christ takes that we react and we respond in the way that he would do it. And that little by little, we're literally transformed so that we, we look like and we act like what Christ would have looked like if he's right there. Lord, we thank you that we are children of a holy God. We're saints before you today, completely accepted by you. And as we run to you for help with all of these areas, we know that you're faithful to do it. Thanks again for listening. 
To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.